Hello and welcome to the Story X Story podcast, where we discuss stories across pop culture, plus give you advice on creating your own. It's episode number 109, and today we're going behind the story. I am your co-host, Nigel. I am Tazzy, content creator and co-host. And for the Behind the Story episodes, we like to talk to creative professionals across industries to unpack the journey into the industry. Uh, today, we're going to hear the story behind Sarah McClintock, cosplayer and costume maker for film, theatre and TV. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. And um, yeah, I'm going to, well, I'm going to leave Tazzy to uh, ask a question. So I'm going to be listening, but it'll be good to hear, hear about the work you do. Um, before we get to that, though, uh, listeners can subscribe to Story X Story on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, uh, pretty much wherever you get your podcast from. But if there's somewhere we're missing, let us know and we can uh, make the adjustments. Uh, you can always send us your feedback and questions to feedback at myamada.com. Drop them in our Discord or throw them at us on social media. We are at myamada on Twitter at Myamada TV on Instagram and TikTok or at Tazzy on all the above. Okay, so let's update on what's happening in the Myamada universe. We are going to be continuing our series, Casual Conversations with Comic Creators, this month. So we've had a, a little reshift, a rejig of the schedule. So keep an eye on our socials to catch the announcement of who the next guest will be uh, and when the next discussion will be taking place. Uh, it may have already been confirmed and everything by the time you listen to this episode, but Casual Conversations is our monthly series where I have a one-to-one -one conversation with a different comic creator, with the idea being to highlight the person, the human being behind the art uh, that we all like. So stay tuned for that. With our own manga and our own comics, we are working behind the scenes on a Kickstarter campaign for a new story featuring Tazzy's character. So this is going to be a, a long-running series where we do what are called or what are going to be called origin stories uh taking the real life people in the my matter team and creating uh backstories to their characters in the my matter universe so gonna get started with uh tazzy's character uh the campaign is going to be starting over the summer so again stay tuned check our socials so you've got uh, a heads up for that but yeah looking forward to that we've got a, a out good outline going with uh We've made some changes. We're going to be talking about that uh, this week. So looking forward to that. Um, over in the video game side, uh, we have a games night coming up. So we tried to do Halo. And if you were live with us, you will know that did not work out. Um, I think we're going to do... This is this has now become the meeting, but I think we're going to do um, Four Guys, right, Tazzy? Uh, yeah, I that... think it would be a great idea to do okay. full guys as it's just become or just about to become free to play all right cool so that that might have been the meeting so we might have to <laughs> change some things but either way we're going to be having a games night on wednesday the 29th of june from 7 p.m bst so we'll be playing some game with studio 77 members and as always you can watch along uh, on twitch so uh, whatever the game will be uh, i've not actually played four guys so that will also be I feel like we need to message Michael before this podcast oh, yeah, before this comes episode. out. Yeah, it's a good point. So <laughs> we are we are going to uh, message our resident 
Halo Infinite fan, uh, Michael, if we are changing plans. So we've got, what, like just over a week to do that before <laughs> before this episode uh, comes out and he finds out uh, in the worst way. But while we sort all that out, definitely join us, follow us on Twitch, uh, and also check out the highlights from our past games nights because we played a bunch of different games uh, and there is a running theme of me not having played the game before we start the live stream. And uh, yeah, you can see how that all goes with the different games. And so we also have some physical events. Uh, so we're continuing the live stream events, but we're going to be, well, we have already come back to some physical events, which is cool. We have some upcoming events. So I will be going to the South London Comic and Zine Fair on July the 10th. So I'll be exhibiting our comics, including the new Serious Through the Fog. So uh, another chance to showcase that with uh, a new audience. So that'll be a, that's a one day event in South London. So we'll drop the link and the information to that event in the show notes and then the next event or convention specifically will be hyper japan on july well july 22nd to the 24th but on july 22nd which is the friday tazzy and i will be having a roundtable discussion for our do i look like a gamer campaign so and we're also probably going to be doing some photo and video stuff uh, activities so if you want to be in the campaign in some way uh, definitely catch us running around the convention floor uh, at some point during the hyper japan weekend but for that friday definitely join us for a discussion we had a really good conversation at comic-con about stereotypes and challenging stereotypes in gaming so we're going to be doing something along similar lines maybe looking at stereotypes and careers in gaming as well um, we're still figuring that out but we'll definitely be there for hyper japan and speaking of the Do I Look Like a Gamer campaign, we have launched the campaign. We are now, we're well into this uh, into this campaign now. So uh, we recently did our friends and family game design uh, event, but we've got the campaign Do I Look Like a Gamer, for those that don't know, is something that we launched earlier in the year to promote inclusion and diversity in the video games industry. So we want to empower young people and those from underrepresented backgrounds, letting them know that they they have a place in this uh, in this industry, whether it's just playing for a hobby or getting in and working. Uh, so we started with the launch of a photo campaign showcasing 40 players and makers. Uh, we then went into a series of live stream and physical events. So you can catch the highlights from some of the live stream events on our YouTube channel. You can also get involved. So even though we've done some of the physical events, we still have one more to come. So especially if you are young or aspiring games professional, you definitely want to get involved. So on July the 2nd, we have our Cupcake and Gamepad Social. So the idea for this event is to provide a low stakes, low pressure experience for networking. So for many young people who might not have had experience in networking or the confidence to go to a networking event, it's something that is such a key skill in any profession, but uh, in games in particular. So we want to provide an opportunity for young and aspiring people to meet other young and aspiring people, as well as professionals that do work in the industry today over some video games and over some desserts as well. So we are going to be at the Samsung KX building in King's Cross uh, from 4 p.m. BST. It's, a, it's another free event. 
and it is free because the campaign is proudly sponsored by Rocksteady Studios and Splash Damage. So again, tickets or the link to tickets will be in the show notes. Uh, you can also go to looklikeagamer.com and check out the information there. So you're kind of caught up with uh, most of what we're doing at the moment. Now let's get back to today's guest. We have a message from Splash Damage for you, who are one of our Do I Look Like a Gamer campaign sponsors, and they're currently hiring. So the London-based studio recently announced work on a number of new titles built in Unreal Engine 5. Which looks amazing, by the way. I don't know if you've seen that, Tati. It's, I'd say stunning. Stunning is a word I'd use for that. I've seen a little bit and um, had a few discussions about it recently. Were it discussions about how stunning it is? Yeah, and a lot <laughs> of people looking forward to what what comes out of gaming with Unreal Engine 5. More Keanu Reeves, I think. <laughs> so you might know Splash Damage from their work on Dirty Bomb, the Gears of War franchise, Brink or Wolfenstein, Enemy Territory. But the studio is beginning an exciting new chapter with its own games and own IP. And it's looking for talented and ambitious people to join them. That means you, John, Alice, James. I don't know, I think I'm hitting people with this, <laughs> but you know, anyone listening. They offer in-studio hybrid and remote working options. So you can head to careers.splashdamage.com to learn more. I like that they offer different ways of working. I think that's very inclusive of them. Very inclusive. What's your favourite way to work, Tazzy? Uh, I'm probably a hybrid person. Keep it mixed up a bit. Yeah, I like some hybrid. Keep people guessing. Is he yeah. going to be in? Is he not going to be in? Who knows? <laughs> Anyone's guess. So again, you can head to careers.splashdamage.com to learn more. We are joined by Sarah. They are a professional costume maker for film, theatre and TV. We're not making costumes for massive corporations. <laughs> they instead make costumes for massively cool anime characters they want to dress up as at conventions. Also, they have over five podcasts, not all of which are about anime. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you for joining us today. Mm-hmm. And I am excited to talk about costumes and your journey into making that into a career. I'm always excited to talk about costumes. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, they're sort of a very visual medium, so they don't make for good podcasting, but we're going to try our best here. <laughs> I'm sure we can make it work. <laughs> so first off, you're based in Belfast, Northern mm -hmm. Ireland. Yep. Uh, were you born there or did you move there? I was born here. Uh, I was born here, grew up here, and I may be the only costume maker currently in Northern Ireland who has not worked on Game of Thrones because I moved away from Belfast in about 2010, 12 to go to uni, which was when Game of Thrones started, and I moved back when it ended. So I managed to avoid that. But no, I am still here working on other things and enjoying being home. Nice. I'm sorry that you are the only. <laughs> no, I take pride. I take pride in it. Oh, okay. Okay. Cool. Most people are like, "Oh my god, Game of Thrones." I'm not a fan, but um... 
So were you always dressing up at a young age? And like, where did the passion for creating costumes come from? I mean, yes, I've I've always sort of made costumes and been generally creative. Like I went to art school because I knew I wanted to do something creative. Just I didn't know what exactly. And then through my art school journey, that sort of turned out to be costumes. But I think my background in textile stuff generally comes from my mother was a textile conservator, which means she basically looks after very, very, very old textiles and clothing and curtains and stuff for the National Trust. So, and I also, I want you to sort of picture a very idyllic Irish rural existence where I did not have a television or really very many forms of electronic entertainment as a very young child. So if you kind of imagine like a Pride and Prejudice style, like little house in the country where I'm growing up and I'm just doing like embroidery and reading and crafts, practical projects, because like I never had a TV or internet access. Like real skills. Yeah, some people <laughs> would say that. <laughs> and it's been a long journey for me to like make those pay me any money but we are getting there my background in knowing how to do craft skills comes from just not having internet internet access as a child comes from your lack of of the technology (laughs) yeah yeah and sort of now that's again intersected with me finding out what anime is uh, and video games are and being like oh i want to make all these outfits and that's sort of where (laughs) cosplay comes from for me Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so you mentioned your studies and you studied at in Glasgow? Yes. What was your education like? What was that like for you? Um, yeah, like Glasgow is is a great place to to live and study. Um for me because it's very much like Belfast, but bigger and more exciting. Um so the art school there is, you know, it has its issues as any kind of academic institution does. But, you know, it's still a really great place to learn and try things out. Uh, And I was on a course, I was technically on the painting course, but they really let you do whatever you wanted there. And what I ended up wanting by by the end of the course, I had like taught myself how to sew properly and taught myself how to like cut patterns. Um, And by the end of the course, what I ended up doing was all entirely costume based, um, like performance art pieces. And it was after graduating and graduating art school with a fine art degree and sort of coming to terms with the fact that if you want to be an artist, you kind of, you are running a business. Like being an artist is running a business and realizing that I don't really want to run myself as a business in that way. Because having said that, I do currently run myself as a business for costume, but I wasn't particularly interested in, you know, creating art pieces and then having to like market them to buyers and sell them to galleries. Like the thought of that exhausted me. But I loved making costumes and I knew that, you know, I had the energy for costume making to make that into a career. So I ended up uh, applying for a costume master's degree and going on and doing that and heading off into the costume world. Mm. Did you have any idea of what you wanted to do before going to Glasgow School of Arts? Did you have sort of like an idea that you was planning and then... Or did you just know you wanted to do something um, in the arts? Yes and no, because actually I had a little bit of dabble in film and theatre before I went to art school. Like I did consider going and studying like set design or set dressing. Because actually having mentioned Game of Thrones, just before I left 
Northern Ireland to go to uni in Scotland. I actually ended up going around the Game of Thrones film set because, again, this was before season one came out. Like, no one had any idea what this was. Like, local farmers were just like, eh, some, there's a lot of horses down the road and stuff. Like, here are all these people in weird armor up. What's going on? It's something called Game of Thrones. I don't know what that is. I've never heard of this because it's like 2009 or whatever. But like a friend of a friend, because again, I mean, not to be sort of stereotypical about Northern Ireland, but like everyone sort of either knows each other or is related. But like a friend of my dad's like was managing that set and was like, oh, hey guys, come over here. You want to see like a castle made out of polystyrene? And we were like, oh yeah, we want to see a castle made out of polystyrene. So we go down there to the film set and there's a castle made out of polystyrene. And it's like one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And I'm just like knocking on the walls being like, oh my God, these are fake. I want to do this maybe as a career. And then sort of end up trying some other things, going into theatre. I did a bit of work experience on a film set, which was which was like the coldest week of my life ever. But I still thought it was cool. But just sort of ended up being, you know, 17, 18 and being indecisive and just being like, well, I'll just go to art school and, and see what happens. And then coming out at the end of, of the other end of art school and thinking, oh, I am still interested in like film and theatre work. Oh, and so what were like the first steps after leaving your studies and then going into a career of costume making? Uh, well, the first steps in leaving my costume degree were to immediately go into a global pandemic, uh, which isn't very helpful uh, when you want to work in costume. So yeah, I basically, after graduating from my master's, ended up moving home back to Northern Ireland and moving back in with my parents as you sort of do when you graduate. Like sometimes I think that one of the worst things that happen to you, happens to you at uni is to graduate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I ended up moving back in with my parents being like, oh no, what am I going to do? I need to get work. I need to contact people. I don't have any work. And sort of got one or two like not very well paying theatre jobs in Northern Ireland. And then 2020 happened and I was like, oh great, there are no theatre jobs because it's March, April 2020. And that was when I started making cosplay because I had I had nothing else to do. I had no pressure to look for jobs because I knew they didn't exist because everything was on lockdown. So that ended me up in a weird place where I wasn't having a good time, but to cope with it, I took over the workshop that my mother used to use for textile conservation, turned it into my cosplay workshop and just started making stuff that I felt like making, almost sort of at random, which actually ended me up with a quite extensive portfolio of costumes that I could then, you know, after emails and emails and emails of reaching out to people, be like, do you know anyone in the film industry that I can contact? Do you know any costume supervisors? Like, ended me up eventually, uh, mid-2021, uh, with sort of my first jobs in the film industry and I've been working ever since. I would definitely say that film industry is a bit of a mafia. It's I do sort of liken it to the one time I tried to buy drugs. Um, <laughs> but it's sort of a thing of finding someone who knows someone who knows someone in the film yeah. industry, getting those contact details and just send all the emails you can and be polite be short and snappy um because th the thing about the film industry is it, it's long hours very demanding no one has time to read more than like one sentence in an email so you, you don't you know if you're emailing film people you don't need to be 
poetic and like you just need to be short snappy and say i can do this job or i would like to do this job do you have anything for me is probably my advice for anyone looking for film industry jobs that can apply to yeah different creative industries i feel film even more so from what i've heard but yeah it is very much like knowing someone and it's why just networking is such a key thing but like you have to know someone they might know someone you never know who knows who as well mm-hmm. so in terms of like reputation as well so it's why like you say it's always it always pays to be you know respectful as uh, as as possible and um and just remember remember people because yeah. you never know where people might end up as well yeah and keeping it snappy because they're going to be tired. <laughs> yeah. What I'm saying. It's a long day. <laughs> oh, yeah. And like, the, but people I have found, like, do generally remember you. Like, there's emails that I sent in 2020, like, to people being like, hey, blah, 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 like, I'm after a costume trainee position. Do you have anything? Here's an attachment of my CV. And like, it might it's taken occasionally like months for people to get back to me but like they do remember you and like they just don't have the time right then or like you know i just actually a a blanket statement i'm not gonna mention the names of any films that i've worked on because then it makes me easier it makes it easier for me to talk about the industry without risking breaking nda but the one thing i can talk about that's come out that i've worked on is dairy girls and i ended up on dairy girls because of like a supervisor I'd contacted like three jobs ago and like you know eight nine ten months later after I'd done that first contact she ended up calling me just out of the blue it was like hey Sarah are you free to work on Dairy Girls for a week and I was like yeah please (laughs) so you know planting little seeds by sending little emails do sprout into things nice and so what exactly does a costume designer do and does it change from each film um does it change from film to tv and theater i think film and tv i find are fairly similar it's the same structure the same process it's just the scale and budget that change theater is theater is much more accessible theater is you know a physical thing that happens in a physical building where people go to do the thing uh, whereas film is like a bit more ephemeral and it's also like thinking of what a costume is like there are so many different roles only within costume in film like there's costume designer costume assistant costume supervisor costume wardrobe mistress slash master just costume stand like there is so many different roles it gets very overwhelming and honestly i still get quite confused when like trying not trying to look for positions i'm like okay what do you need like what does this do like what is like a junior standby in costume i do not know what this is (laughs) so in film what i have the most experience in doing is costume making and there's a sort of split between making of costumes and the sort of actually putting them on the actors and like on set work so like the designer will be the person who it decides what the actors are wearing, uh, whether that's through making sketches and coming up with designs, or if it's through like a lower budget thing, you know, looking through websites and figuring out like what to buy to put on people. Um, and they have their team of assistants and design team that will, you know, make sure that everyone that's going on screen looks the way they need to look to like tell that story. You have the likes of a supervisor who's the person who coordinates everything and like makes sure everything flows. 
um, is kind of the, the linchpin around which a costume department runs. Um, you have costume standbys, who are the people on set who literally stand by to check the actors, make sure they're getting into the right costumes, make sure those costumes look the way they want them to look, make sure they're being like worn, make sure they're sort of rumpled to the right degree or like have that little drop of sauce that the actor has spilled on them in the scene before or whatever. Like they also like check for continuity stuff. So there's a lot of work that goes on like on set that you wouldn't necessarily think about when thinking about costume. And then there's what I do, which is the making and the the sewing work. Really? I have to say, I find the costume team to be the people I appreciate the most on set. And I'm like, I would love to just have this every day. <laughs> because there's always someone making sure your buttons are like neat or like your collar's folded or... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, like, I have to say, like, because... I, I was at uh, MCM London last week, and like what I find that when I'm like walking around conventions and I see someone and like their hem has fallen down a little bit, I'm just like, okay, don't like you, you don't need to approach them and fix that. It's fine. <laughs> it's not your job. It's like not... <laughs> the person in front of me and like the queue for whatever like has a, like a little bit of dust. I'm like, okay, I could ju- I could just wipe that. Off. I could, you know, the urge to fix people and things is real. I think all comic cons should come kitted out with like just just the costume. Yeah, yeah. Walking around just like with lint rollers and <laughs> yeah. a little sewing kit. <laughs> just making sure everyone's looking just perfect all the time. That would be cool. Because that's the thing. Like when you're doing like cosplay, like the things you put on like that morning in the hotel room have to like stand up all day. Like to you walking around and doing stuff, but like film set costumes there is someone fixing that every five minutes so they look absolutely perfect so Mm. like there's no way you're going to achieve that in a cosplay because you need to do stuff in that costume and there is no one to especially like i always say for content creators anyone that does their own thing that involves like filming something just give yourself some forgiveness because you don't have costume you don't have set you don't you don't have people to fix all the things like tv and movies have people yeah. constantly there as soon as the camera cuts there's someone there to fix everything make sure it's sitting right make sure there's no creases no stains <laughs> yeah yeah g- give you a hot water bottle and a blanket make sure you're warm enough oh my god yes <laughs> that like that that actually like the the job on a film set of making sure everyone is comfortable and happy like cannot be undersold literally unsung heroes do you know how many times like the costume team have been the ones to like make sure that we get blankets and even make sure that we get like water and hot drinks because they're like where's your ad (laughs) you need to be warm (laughs) we'll go talk to them for you (laughs) and you're like oh my god thank you so much (laughs) yeah so you said that you sort of like had you were stuck because of lockdown so you started to make cosplay what was the the big appeal as someone already into making costumes that you were like, yes, cosplay? So 2020 was the year I really started going ham for cosplay, but like I had dabbled in a little bit before, kind of unknowingly, because I had started making costumes for characters from my favorite books and like thinking about what these characters would wear and like designing it and making it. And like, I didn't really know that that was cosplay. I was just like, this is a thing that I really want to do. 
Like I, again, having grown up with no TV, it may not surprise anyone that I was into like doorstopper fantasy novels. So I was reading like Wheel of Time, Brandon Sanderson and stuff. So I started making, made some Wheel of Time costumes. Um, I made a costume for some Stormlight Archive characters by Brandon Sanderson. And I was doing those like dresses at the same time that I was doing my degree show for art college. Um, this was in 2016. And we had a great, I had a great time making them. I went and like photographed them in Edinburgh, like with a friend. Um, we tried to get it sort of like cinematic to like look as if, oh, this is what the characters would be like if this book was a movie. Ooh. And got some nice shots. The dresses are a little, mm, I would do something, some things differently nowadays, but it went great. And the thing was, the same week that I was graduating, doing my degree show, my friend Carl posted those pictures to the Stormlight Archive subreddit. And the author of the book commented like, oh, wow. And I got like 10 times the amount of satisfaction from that comment that I did from like everyone kept telling me about my degree show. And I was like, oh, oh, I think this is what I want to do, actually. Who cares about art? <laughs> Costume and the satisfaction of like bringing a character that people have seen in their heads from a page like to life and having people enjoy that was like way more satisfying than anything that I'd done for my degree. So I think that was kind of the the boot that kicked me up the arse and got me into costume. That is such like a wholesome beginning to cosplay. <laughs> I it what's more challenging? Um making cosplay for things that you can already see the costume design or making cosplay for like a book character that you've never seen their outfit before. So I, I love thinking about this. Like I will probably well, I say probably never never because I'm working sort of on an R flag means death cosplay at the moment, but <laughs> I will quote unquote never cosplay something from live action because it will drive me insane trying to find all the little details, all the exact like shade of lace to put on this character that they've used in the workshop. Because like that's my job. That's like what I do. So there's that level of accuracy and recreation. And then there is like book characters where you get to just like go nuts and have fun designing. And like, I definitely prefer that end of the spectrum and sort of anime and animated stuff is like very much the middle where you have this great balance between you have a reference for what the costume looks like, but it's drawn and it's vague enough that you can like elaborate on all the little details you get to choose like what the fabrics are like what the buttons are like what the different pieces are like and I think that middle ground is where it really satisfies me because honestly like coming up with a design is like very stressful <laughs> and do you follow the same process as costume design when you're making a cosplay pretty much yeah because when you're designing and most of the designing stuff I've done has been for theater like student theatre, I've not done design in quite a while because I don't have the experience for it really. But when designing for theatres and stuff, like you are looking at the text, you are like being like, what is this character like? Like, what would they be wearing in this situation? You're thinking through like their story process and like the reasons they're wearing the clothing they are, like how you can tell their story through the clothing they're wearing. And it's the same for for cosplay even if you have that like reference from the anime you're still thinking like what weight of fabric would this be based on like the climate the character lives in or like 
you know, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking specifically about like Edelgard Fire Emblem, who wears like a big red like cloak and cape and outfit in that game, and how her, a lot of her design and like story vibes are very <laughs> imperialist. She's the emperor, and how you know that kind of comes from like British red like imperial uniforms and how whenever me and my friend were planning a cosplay for her we were like oh well it makes sense to like use red wool for edelgard to get those like imperialist vibes that the game is going for like into that cosplay so yeah it's the same process pretty much (laughs) cool is there a certain kind of character that you end up cosplaying more is there like a trend there or yeah i cosplay but (laughs) i yeah i do end up going for horrible people and segueing towards villains in my cosplays and i think Mm. that's just because they're always the most dramatic yeah like there's that flair and drama that i am i just love love doing that totally understand that (laughs) villains just have that like extra something right (laughs) yeah I i don't know what it is like you know again i have friends who just love like cute things and fluffy and laces and lots of petticoat and ruffles and I'm like yes yes you I will never do this I just love making like suits and I like making evil garments what can I say (laughs) Uh, a bit more about the process of making costumes that end up on our screens sort of like how many people are involved in that how long does it take to make one particular outfit and sort of like Anything else you can tell us about that process? Yeah, I mean, definitely more than you would think. Like, cosplayer cosplayers are, like, absolute heroes for doing, like, the things themselves. Like, the, a cosplayer will do, like, the work of, like, an entire film crew department. Whereas if you see a big dress on screen, like, that's taken, like, 10 people to create at least, like, in two weeks. And, like... If you're seeing a dress on screen and you're seeing it like, and it's used quite a lot, there will absolutely be like three or four copies of that that the costume team have made. So like, you're there's there's never just one dress. There's always like multiples of it for different takes and different scenes. Or if it like gets wet in a scene, there'll need to be like way more copies of them. So is that like a standard? If there's a dress, there's going to be multiple copies, or is it one gets damaged and then they make another? and then they make another or is it like from the beginning there are multiple dresses if there are multiples of something there will be multiples from the beginning um especially if something has like stunts to be done in it uh either stunts to be done in it or stuff to be spilled on it those are the things that are really going to require changes and especially if there is stunts and there's like a stunt person like standing in for the actor for that then we will need to make a a the costume like for the stunt actor's size um as well as sort of like the what is called the hero version for the the main cast actor but yeah if if a piece of costume i mean i'm i'm talking more cuz again what i have mostly made is stuff for like fantasy period sci-fi type because th- those are the genres that require costumes to be made um rather than bought so if there is a piece of costume in the likes of something like that that you see a lot on screen there's definitely going to be multiples of it other costumes that are sort of more like one-off pieces that are just not really used that much. Yeah, yeah, there might only be one of those because it's not really worth the resources of the workshop to make multiples of something that's not going to be used that much. I mean, I have watched someone change uh, several times within the space of like 
I'm going to say about 30 minutes, change costume about eight times <laughs> for mm. one particular scene. Wow. <laughs> the same outfit, the exact mm. same outfit. That was quite hilarious. But I, I really like being the costume person on set and someone's like, oh no, something's happened to this. And I'm just like, oh, we have another one. Oh, we have another one. <laughs> There's a backup here. It's fine. <laughs> There's a backup to the backup. Yeah. Man, I already miss film sets now. Been like two weeks. Glad you've done this just on purpose to torture me, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, has your experience of your industry so far matched your expectations for university? Were there any differences? Yeah, I mean, so I kind of always approached wanting to work in film knowing that it was a bit of a hellscape <laughs> because I had that little bit of film set experience from when I was like 16, 17. So I sort of knew like what the general deal is, how long the hours were, and yet still somehow it manages to be worse. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it, it helps or maybe doesn't help, I don't know, actually. You know, I definitely have come up through art education uh, with all my friends being, like, massive communists and, like, talking about, like, oh, labour, you got to be paid for your labour. Um, so that's kind of the the sauce in which I've pickled myself before coming into this industry, in which, like, getting paid for your labour and having adequate working conditions is a big issue, and we're, you know, we're, we're talking about that, and we're doing stuff about that, and sort of I have definitely approached coming into the industry with a view of, okay, if things are bad, I want to help change them. And it's been really great, like, just talking to people about, like, how are we working? Like, what are we doing? How can we make this better? What can we do about this? And it it feels good to even be talking about it. Um, and it feels hopeful, even if, you know, the hours are still grim and the work gets overwhelming most of the time thing about costume is that everyone in costume is like a little sicko for costume which kind of makes it easy to be like oh you want to come work on this and they're like I mean yeah we do want to work on that but it hurts you yeah and how did volunteering help in your role today for example working as a costume assistant for the Grand Opera House Belfast in the past honestly like volunteering is the most helpful thing that you could do to like meet people and get to know people like yeah I'm always like on principle you should never offer your labor for free but it's very helpful to do that for a short amount of time to get like potential employers to know you uh for example I did like I did some volunteering or like an unpaid traineeship with Scottish Opera which got me in contact uh which like by getting to go in there and meet people got me in contact with them and they put me in contact with like another workshop like a props workshop in London which is actually the only work I've ever done in London which was again some voluntary work experience I just emailed them I'm like hi could I have like two weeks of work experience like and I go in I work for them for free for two weeks and I sort of meet people and sort of learn how things go in like a busy workshop environment I think there's like there is kind of no substitute for just experience and being able to talk to people who who do the job that you want to do and you know i find that people are people love talking to potential trainees and people who will be potentially entering their industry like because we all want 
especially in film industry, we all want more people to be working so that we have to do slightly less work. So people love to talk and share their um, knowledge with you. And like, are even if you you are new to that industry, like, you know, no one, no one will say no to help. And you could provide that and get that experience. Yeah, I agree with that. Where, where do you think the line is? Or how do you see where the line is between, like you say, providing labor for free, but then to a certain extent, you are also getting something from it and then yeah. just going too far with that? Yeah. I think my, actually, very specifically, my line is two weeks. Okay. <laughs> you can have my labor for free for two weeks. And after then, uh, you got to start paying me. Mm. You know, I've definitely, especially like fresh out of uni, like taken on jobs that like did not quite have the money to pay me and given them like way more than I should, which, you know, is kind of inevitable when you're inexperienced. Like that's, you're probably going to end up doing that. And like you shouldn't, but yeah, you probably will because you feel probably like inadequate about your skills. You feel too fresh and too green to ask for more money and that's kind of something that you have to deal with and like be you know know that you have to like talk yourself up to yourself and be like no you can ask for money it's i struggle every day oh yeah <laughs> mood yeah <laughs> and how have you continued to develop your skills since leaving education um again kind of cosplay the things i am um, as well as being drawn to cosplay evil clothing and evil characters i will often look at things and if i am like at all inspired by like wanting to learn a craft technique that allows me to do that like i will be drawn to cosplay that i'm trying to think there was like one there was one outfit from a uh, critical role which i saw the character design and i went oh i know how that would be made so i and i made that coat and i don't like I'm probably never going to wear it or cosplay that character, but like, I just saw the design and I was like, oh, I fancy making that. I know the technique that I want to use. And I think I used, specifically, I used needle felting into wool to create uh, Caduceus Clay's coat um, from Campaign 2 of Critical Role. Is the example specifically there? But yeah, cosplay, well, cosplay, it's hard because when you're working like long film industry hours, you don't really have much time to cosplay. So... I kind of relish the breaks I get between jobs to do my own stuff. And then I have those costumes to add to my portfolio. And and these these are costumes I can show anyone. They're not under NDA. It's great. (laughs) I actually do stuff. I swear I have evidence. (laughs) Yeah, like I go through such like long periods of no posting because I'm on a job and can't post anything. And then when I'm off a job, I'm like, right, let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's post, 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 cosplay, cosplay, cosplay. Yeah. I understand. <laughs> I decided to get another job that also involves a lot of secrecy. So I'm like, uh, still can't talk about what I do. Yeah. I'm annoying. Um, is there like any particular resources that you look for when you are developing like a skill set for a particular costume? YouTube. The great school of YouTube. Um <laughs> is on like okay honestly like i have i have two degrees right i have two degrees uh one of them's a costume degree i've learned more from youtube about <laughs> making costumes than i have from either of those it, i mean and that's partially just because a master's degree is focused on like writing and academia stuff and they expect you to like already know how to make costumes but like i'm completely self-taught because i have never done like a junior level costume qualification most of what i have learned about sewing is either from my mother from friends or from YouTube, like especially these days, like 
like every time I scroll through TikTok, I like learn a new little sewing hack that I'm like, oh my God, I didn't know you could do. I didn't know what like a blind hem foot was. I've never heard of this, but just my For You page was like, here, time for you to learn something today. I'm like, thank you. I will use this every day. So honestly, like if you want to learn how to do anything, especially sort of like post pandemic, because a lot of what I found was like, a lot of uh, tutorials were created during 2020, 2021, when people had the time to like put those videos together. For example, like I think pre-pandemic, I wanted to learn uh, Katazume resist dyeing, Japanese textile technique. But like I couldn't find any resources of like what the rice paste was made of, like how you got it into the fabric, like how to like make it work. So I just kind of gave up on that project. And then Recently, like I Googled it again because I was interested in using that resist dyeing technique to make Zenitsu from Demon Slayer's um, like Kaori. And I found that like this workshop in Japan had like made a whole video series on like and a very like clear, concise tutorial series of videos on how exactly to do like Katazome dyeing. And I was like, oh my God, yes, I'm going to do this project. So yeah, especially nowadays, you can find out how to do anything. It's great. University of YouTube. <laughs> Literally, the great school of YouTube. <laughs> Better than any uh, formal education. <laughs> Not Just... even an exaggeration. <laughs> I mean, still go to school, kids, but. Uh, I mean, yeah. YouTube's great, great for anything you didn't learn. Possibly everything you didn't learn. Yeah. <laughs> 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 And so let's just talk a bit about your other projects. Mainly, you also do a lot of podcasts, a few about anime. What are yeah. they? So our listeners can actually find them. Yeah. Um, so first of all, most of them are listed in my my Twitter bio, which is Sarah Mick Costumes, MCC Costumes. I yeah, I sort of use I sort of use podcasting as like a scheduled way to talk to friends on a regular basis um it's kind of like saved my brain from going insane um and it was great because i started podcasting way before like pandemic or lockdown hit so i had already established that routine of once a week me and my friends from the pod of great podcast a Yu-Gi-Oh podcast um would uh meet up and talk about a Yu-Gi-Oh episode or three Yu-Gi-Oh episodes that we'd watch that week so i've had that routine for a while and it's like how I've kind of made most of my friends online. And I actually ended up going to my first ever convention uh, with other folks from Pod of Greed. Um, I was cosplaying Maximilian Pegasus from Yu-Gi-Oh! It was great. And yeah, so that, that's sort of my, my, my first podcast is Pod of Greed. It's a Yu-Gi-Oh! podcast that I started because I love Yu-Gi-Oh! and wanted to talk about it with people. Um, and sort of from there, I just kind of really enjoyed the experience of talking to people about a certain topic every week or two weeks uh and kept starting podcasts like yeah i've got i've got never believe it which is my weird art project which i used or me and my friends used to like test out just messed up ways of podcasting we kind of go a little bit out there it, the premise of that was actually we're going to watch naruto but only the filler episodes and from that, try and work out what Naruto is about. That's such an amazing idea. And then it sort of turned into not a cult. It's not a cult. I promise it's not a cult. Tim Bat has said that it's not a cult and you can believe it. What else have I got? Hang on, I've got a list of all the podcasts over here. 
Yeah, the Wheel of Time TV show came out uh, and I was very invested in the creation of that. So we did a podcast about it. I have been on Wow Cool Robot, which is my friend and Pod of Greed co-host Max's Gundam podcast. I was on that talking about Zeta Gundam. We had a great time. I recently finished up a podcast about Tintin, um, where we sort of discovered how a, a Belgian man can be racist and anti-racist at the same time somehow. <laughs> I don't know how he manages it. It's that's a lot to talk about. What else have I got? I've got Quoth Killer Chronicles, which is a Patrick Rothfuss hate cast, where we talk about books we don't like. That's great fun. I love being a hater sometimes. And yeah, I sort of, and again, I've got other projects in the works. There's always more project, more podcasts like waiting to come out of me. Uh, every time I finish one, I'm like, ooh, now I have time to do another podcast. Except I don't, but I try. What's the last anime to have a big impact on you? What is the last anime I watched? I kind of want to say Demon Slayer. I would ask why, but I'm just starting it, so I can't. I'm trying to think, like, because specifically, like, Big Impact. Specifically, Demon Slayer has... I watched it and then I read the manga and the specific impact that that had on me was because that manga is very much about craft and craftsmanship in a way that was really interesting to me as like as someone who works with my hands, does stuff with my hands, seeing that like Tanjiro's sword training like was very like came from his body like there's the whole thing where his hands are all calloused and there's sort of the first or second episode where the guy is like oh these hands these are not the hands of like a little boy so it was really interesting to me to to watch that and then go on to read it and finish it and see all the ways in which craftsmanship is particularly relevant to the story and how when you learn how to do a thing you're like physically training your body to do that not just in like doing sword good but also like making sword good and there's like all sorts of other like little bits of like japanese craftsmanship like tamari balls and like the obi that the obi monster demon woman whose name i can't remember uh, uses so that was really cool and like i think about that quite a lot other than that i'd say the last anime to kind of like divert the course of my life was definitely gundam Mainly because I just kind of became obsessed with Shaw Aznable and I have now cosplayed him and will be cosplaying him again. And just getting big into Gundam and befriending other people who were big into Gundam and befriending Gundam podcasters that I, that I then started a Wheel of Time podcast with. Shout out to Tom and Nina from, from uh, Mobile Suit Breakdown there. The, one. the two that come off the top of my mind. <laughs> nice. Um, and I'm going to ask just like a couple of questions uh, to help. Uh, anyone any aspiring professionals listening so first one is what does success mean to you and are you there yet because i I heard i heard you because i listened to an episode of this podcast before i came on and i heard you ask this question i was like oh if i could ask this question you've done your homework Um, (laughs) i've done a little bit of homework and i've been thinking about this uh for like the afternoon and i think that i would basically i think what success means to me is if People want to cosplay an original costume that I have made for a thing. That would be so cool. I just want to make something like the original version of something that other people then cosplayed. Like that is the coolest thing to me. So yeah, I'm sort of waiting to see like 
what movies I've worked on like come out and what costumes people want to cosplay from them because I'm like, oh my god, like I made the originals. Ah. That sounds like it'd be super satisfying. Like imagine walking around Comic Con and just people were in the costume that you made. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, oh my god, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because like I was again at MCM, the cosplayer that won the Crown Championships was doing a Sansa Sansa Stark cosplay from Game of Thrones. And while I didn't work on Game of Thrones, like I did go to their the exhibition that they had, like where they showed all the costumes, and I got to see all those costumes close up. And I was able to like confidently tell Beth that cosplayer that like her costume was like to or above the standards of the actual costumes in Game of Thrones. Wow! Like, I, and I just want to be able to tell that to people for costumes that I've actually worked on. Mm. but I am not there yet you'll get there oh here's hoping and then the other question is what would you tell your younger self to look out for at the start of the journey um to look out for it's weird because even though my journey was very roundabout uh to coming into this industry and to coming into costume I don't know that I would change anything about it like, yes, I could say to my younger self, ah, don't bother going to art school, just go straight to costume school. But the thing about me is that, like, because I have had all these, like, weird art school experiences and dabbled in, like, anything and everything and kind of, like, meandered a lot, it kind of means that I know how to do, like, quite a lot of things and more things than I've done, like, just all these random stuff that, like, other costume people haven't. And I quite enjoy that about myself. So if I were to meet my younger self, I'd probably, um, well, obviously I would be dressed in a very evil looking outfit um, <laughs> and I would just sort of smirk at them and, and watch. <laughs> I probably would actually tell my younger self about gender and how it's fake. So actually, that's probably what I would say. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. In each interview, we ask our guests to give advice for aspiring creative professionals. We're talking cosplay and costume making today. So what advice do you have for others listening who may want to get started with creating their own outfits? I can't like I have already talked a bunch about YouTube and how you can basically extract the bulk of a costume degree from the great school of YouTube. So I think specifically for costume, like you can start with someone like Bernadette Banner, who's like the sort of most well-known costume YouTuber and just kind of go and find people from there. I think my advice, apart from Great School of YouTube, would just be that you're having a group of friends to cosplay and craft with is really important. Like on a personal level, I've discovered through experience and mistakes that I really hate just being completely by myself when I, when I work. And I think that you can like learn as much from the other people that you're crafting with and like seeing different ways that other people do things. And, and, and I'm not even talking about like, oh, learning from a more experienced person. Just if you and like one other friend get into cosplay together, like you both have different brains, you both have different experiences or diff sorry, you both have different ways of like approaching things. And like having another person or a group of friends to like talk about your cosplays or the clothing that you're making with is really, really valuable. Like, you know, we think of cosplayers as like solo artists who do the costumes and the makeup and the performances all by themselves. And like, I mean, yes, that's true. But like, 
they have cosplay friends that they're talking to and like getting advice from and discussing things with. So I think my, I guess, pro tip is to approach costume making as a group activity rather than a solo thing. And, you know, in a, in a very shonen kind of way to use the power of friendship to make your costumes. <laughs> I love that. Use the power of friendship to make your costumes. Yeah. I feel like that is a perfect way to round off that guest tip. Thank you so much for that that nugget, those nuggets of advice. So listeners, just so you know, you can give your feedback on this interview or any of our other podcast episodes by emailing us at the email address feedback at mymatter.com. This is the part where we throw in follow-up questions or random things that don't quite fit anywhere else. And I had a couple of things uh, come to mind. One's not really a question, it's just a, an agreement on uh, Brandon Sanderson being a great writer and someone that I have at least tried to learn something from. Do you have a favorite Brandon Sanderson series? Uh, I'm definitely a Stormlight person. Okay, um, I've just started that. So actually I need to sort of get back and catch up yeah i actually like i kind of wrote my undergrad dissertation about the world building in stormlight archive like i mean if you even if you just started it you'll know that the world is weird and like the grass moves and it's like this crazy like setup of like biology and ecology and it's just absolutely amazing wild stuff and i actually like ended up wanting to write about like how fantasy universes come together like just from mostly using that book as a case study because it's so just out there mm, cool but it's really well done for me i started with the Mistborn series which is yeah like me too me favorite. too yeah i just love it I've, um i even i didn't like so one of our stories is inspired by that in a roundabout way because that book was sort of i think i read somewhere he was inspired by oceans 11 to make that kind of high story so there's a high story in the mind yeah. universe but i just love the way they just mix the fantasy elements with that Heist, I'm a big fan of heist stories um, and put it into such a great world with like magic and different kind of characters and everything like that. Yeah, actually, like one of the first, not even cosplays, but just like costume pieces that I made was a mist cloak. Oh, nice. And like, I remember watching like the Lord of the Rings, like behind the scenes things where they were talking about like the Black Riders and how to get that dramatic swish effect they used like nine different like weights and types of fabric to make them flow when they were galloping and the horses right and i sort of read that and i was like oh flow movement <laughs> mist cloak so i ended up getting just like loads of different types of fabric and just like it all into a mist mm. cloak and it was nice <sighs> that sounds cool that does yeah. sound cool a- yeah i love a good cloak and like movement of cloak so that sounds amazing yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a very silly video on my YouTube channel of me dressed as like Kelsier, like just dancing <laughs> to various songs. Okay, we need to find that one then. Uh, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have mentioned that. Oh no. <laughs> We're going to put it on the it's show too notes. Late. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be in the show notes. <laughs> um, uh, and the last thing I um, wanted to bring up as well is I think you mentioned early on about treating yourself as a business. Mm-hmm. Is, is that something you found? easier now so if you spent some time in the industry is, is there something you find so difficult about that aspect of uh, of the career yeah because like I've always been a sort of relatively organizey person like when I was a teenager like I was always the friend who made the group chat to go to the cinema sort of thing like mm. and like that has definitely served me well 
in translating into like being a freelancer and like organizing my time and organizing myself um and like talking to like clients who want things it's definitely you know just you know as I gain experience on like how to how to sell my skills you know every time I sell my skills it's another bit of experience and it also like just the more you do the more confident you feel in your ability to do things and the Mm. more like justified you feel in asking for like 12 point an hour then 15 point an hour and now Mm. like i'm like oh i could go up to 18 point an hour so yeah it gets easier yeah it's not easy but it gets easier no it's definitely i've been doing some i guess technically freelancing entrepreneurship and it's it's the same thing you kind of have to say yourself and say you know i can do this i am worth this i have this i can provide this value it's like yeah doing that in front of different people and people often with more experience or at least more experience in a certain area than you and it's like yeah getting to that point but yeah no that's cool because it is such a big part of like being able to continue freelancing because <laughs> you could do it for a while at, at a certain level but at some point you need to learn all the other business stuff so you can continue doing it uh, and yeah. do more of it so i also think specifically one of the most valuable things that i've learned is like how rare my skills are and like how few people actually like properly know how to sew mm. like even in costume like sewing is kind of a rare skill like you know on set costumers will be good at fixing things uh, but not necessarily creating things mm. and also vice versa like workroom costumers will be very good at creating things but not at fixing things under a very high amount of stress <laughs> but like as a freelancer learning exactly like what or like learning exactly how in demand I am and then being able to like leverage that with clients like knowing like if someone approaches you and they're not offering like a good rate or they don't have a high enough budget like knowing that there's probably more people yeah that to give you work no that's a very good observation yeah but again that comes with like having a lot of people who know who you are and getting yourself out there like I know it's a complicated balance and no, that's good. That's a good shout. So yeah, that is all that is all our questions for this interview. So uh, Sarah, thank you again for, for joining us. Woo, I'm free. <laughs> <laughs> we are releasing you into the well, into your other podcast, I guess. But um, yeah. yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do have editing to do after this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't have a feeling. So <laughs> but yeah, thank you for joining us. And uh if you are listening uh at this point, I hope uh, you've also enjoyed what you've heard. Don't forget to subscribe to Story X Story so you don't miss a future episode. You can also give us a five-star rating and review. This helps us reach new listeners and fans of story discussion. Uh, And speaking of stories, our latest manga, Serious Through the Fog, is currently out. You can check that out along with our other titles on the My Matter website. That's mymatter.com forward slash manga. You can also join our Studio 77 Discord for free and consider becoming a member for exclusive access to gamepad events and content from the My Matter universe. Uh, And our Do I Look Like a Gamer video game representation campaign is live. Um, We've done a bunch of events, so it's a campaign that we launch so that future generations of talent will know there is also a place for them in the video games industry and culture. So we want to empower them to be an active part of shaping the future of the video games industry. And you can stay tuned for more podcast episodes that include creator interviews like these and video game discussions and deep dives into stories across pop culture. And you can always give us a shout directly. Our email address is feedback at bymatter.com. 
and our website with links to subscribe is myamada.com forward slash story x story uh, so that's us thank you for tuning in until next time stay safe and stay in school specifically the uh, school of youtube so <laughs> take care everyone Thank <music> you.